The songs we sing on Sunday each week are so rich in scripture and meaning that, and I'm excited to take a deep dive into the scripture and the meaning behind all our songs so that we can have more powerful, impactful worship going forward. And I think it's fitting coming off this pandemic year that we start our worship anthology series with a song that quotes scripture from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount about God's love overcoming anxiety. How much stress and frustration and fear have we gone through this last year? I've been reading a lot of autobiographies or biographies and autobiographies lately. And one of the things as I'm reading about them, people going through wars and uh, other pandemics and stressful situations, that we've gone through something similar to like an uprising or a war. And as I talked to my friends, one of my friends said that this reminds him a lot of what it was like after the Vietnam War, the similar amount of stress that was happening in the community. And if you've been following Christian worship music this year at all, you have seen a big response. There's been a tidal wave of worship coming out from all over the place in the Christian community. And a lot of those songs have been written within the pandemic. And so I wanted to pick what's my, which one is my favorite and most impactful song so far coming out of that pandemic, and that's the song Jaira, which gets its name from the name of God, Jehovah Jaira, which is from the story of Abraham. And it's Jehovah Jaira means the Lord provides. So anytime you hear the word Jaira, it's the Lord provides. That's what they're singing about. And it's And in the song, they're quoting Jesus' Sermon on the Mount about anxiety. Let's read that together. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment or a single hour to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. For your heavenly Father, who you believe in, already knows all your deeds. And then he commands this, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Three times in that passage, Jesus says, don't worry. And any time that he says something three times or that you see something three times or more in the Bible, we're supposed to pay attention. It's like he's saying, pay attention to what I'm saying. Don't worry. But how can he command us not to worry? How can he say, just stop having anxiety? 
It's not like we wake up every morning and, with, and we're thinking, oh, goody, I get to have anxiety today. I can't wait. I lived in Alaska for four years and I met my wife up there. We got married and then we helped plant Journey back in 2005 and I was the worship pastor 16 years ago. But while I lived in Alaska, I had a friend, we had a friend who had the worst anxiety I've ever seen. She had huge anxiety attacks. She she was a mother of three and her husband was a pilot at, and One time she was driving across a bridge on her way home and she got halfway through across the bridge and she froze up, slammed on her brakes and stopped in the middle of the bridge, in the middle of traffic with the kids in the back of the van and couldn't move, couldn't put on the gas, couldn't get out of the car. She was stuck there. She had paralyzing anxiety and it was really upsetting to her. And she had to work for years to get over it, to figure out what was triggering that anxiety. We all have trigger, things that trigger anxiety in us at different levels. Something triggers our fear, our fight or flight response. It's our built-in response to danger. But if you're consistently living with this stress and anxiety, like feeling this fight or flight response every day, all the time, of perceived dangers, Perceived financial dangers, professional dangers, relationship dangers. You'll find that your body is always in that condition, always stressed. But your body's not supposed to be that way. The system is not supposed to be going off all day. You'll just burn up. You'll burn out. And you'll get hypertension and ulcers and high blood pressure. We see that all the time, right? If we look carefully at the passage, Jesus is telling us, He's commanding us, but it's not like a drill sergeant. He's inviting us how to live our life fully for him. Jesus says, remember, he says, I want to give you life, life to the full, joy overflowing. And he's inviting us to do that when he says, don't worry. So the first point today from the song is when we sing songs like Jaira, we remember Jesus' command. This is one of the insights into having the life, the full life of Christ that you hear Jesus talk about. You're like, where is that, Jesus? Jesus is saying, if you follow me, if you follow my commands, I'll give you insight into your real identity, into who I've made you to be. And I can, he's saying, I can get underneath those triggers and do surgery on you deep down. And if you follow me, I can get that out of you and provide for your life. Jaira, the Lord will provide. So there's obedience to what Jesus calls us to do. But Jesus is also saying, I'm going to help you by getting underneath the surface and dealing with that anxiety. So when Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, at the end of the passage, he's summing everything up that he said. He's saying, worry is concern about the potential. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry is concerned about the potential, not the actual. Worry is concerned about things we can't control, that we don't have control over in the future. Or to put it another way, the essence of anxiety is the desire to control that which we can't control. And that's why we're anxious. We feel the need to control in an area where there's no possibility of control. 
And that causes anxiety deep down in us. And that's the will to control the uncontrollable. In the passage, we see that Jesus is saying the source of anxiety is the human will to have power, our desire to have power. He says, for example, at the end, he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? You're not God. How can you add an hour to your life by worrying? You can't. That's the point. We want the power that God has to add an hour to our life, and it causes anxiety. At its deepest level, Jesus is showing that something that we knew all along, we've never been in charge of our future. We're not in control. Jesus is saying that we're anxious and we, because we don't believe and we don't like the fact that we're totally dependent on the supporting power of God. We don't like it and we're afraid of it. And that's what anxiety is. But in the passage, there's also this awesome truth built in. And that's what Jaira is all about. It's that the God who loves us, he has a plan for the whole world, including us, that makes, to make our lives count and to bless us and to bless the whole world. Jesus is inviting us to live in the reality that God is good. He's in control, and it's really good that he's in control. And Jesus wants us to get underneath. He wants to get underneath those triggers so that you can have a new foundation to live your life on. One of the autobiography, one of the biographies I, I read this recently, it's the most recent one, I just finished it, was on Martin Luther, the German theologian and pastor from the 1500s. And one day, Martin looked at his friend, Philip Melanchthon, who was really worried about what was happening in Germany at the time. This is the time of the Reformation. Everything's kind of exploding in the dark ages. And Luther, instead of saying something encouraging to his friend, who's worried, he gets right at the root of the problem. He gets underneath it and he says, Philip, let Philip cease to rule the world. Let Philip cease to rule the world. Philip is like, I'm really worried. And he says, let Philip cease to rule the world. You know why you're anxious, Philip? You want to be in charge. You're trying to be in charge. Let Philip cease to rule the world. And Luther was fully aware of God's great plan of redemption for the whole world. He knew God was in control and was going to orchestrate things for his ultimate plan of redemption. If anxiety is the need to control the uncontrollable, Jesus is inviting us to remember, to remember God is in control. How do we give up control? First, we remember Jesus' command, don't worry. He says, look at the birds. Now that that word look in Greek, it really means more like think about or reflect on the birds. Sometimes it's translated consider, consider, reflect on the birds. So Jesus is giving us insight into how we don't worry. He's saying, reflect on the birds, consider them. God cares for you more than the birds. They're not worried. How much more does he love you? He's saying, don't worry. When we sing songs like Jaira, we remember Jesus' command not to worry. God will provide. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's our great provider. So we don't need to worry. Now, the word Jireh is from the story of Abraham and Isaac. If you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac, Abraham 
and his son go up the mountain. He thinks that he's going to have to sacrifice his son to God. But then at the last moment, God provides a ram and its thorns, it's stuck in the thicket and its horns are stuck in the thicket. And he, he gets the lamb uh, and sacrifices to God. And Isaac's, Isaac's like, all right. But what we also know from that story is that there's foreshadowing of Jesus, God's son, being sacrificed for us. So it's a big foreshadowing story of what God's ultimate plan is for us. He provided his son, Jesus, for us. So when we sing Jehovah Jireh, we also remember, yes, God's our provider. He's created us. He's given us everything we have, our very breath, but he's also provided his son. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus' sacrifice and the redemption. It points to the redemption of the whole world. And the song talks about how God's love isn't based on our performance or success in life. It's easy to get into a rhythm in life where we just rate ourselves on success all the time. How successful am I at relationships? How successful am I at work? How successful am I in my job and performance in school? How well do I do in those relationships? But we need to remember that God's love is not about that. Now, sometimes... We love aspects of performance. Like, we want to cheer each other on. This last Monday, I went fishing with Brian, and I got this nice brown trout. And you better believe Brian was cheering me on as I was reeling that thing in, right? Sometimes we all get to cheer when people succeed. But even though the whole world is geared around performance, job performance, school performance, we have to remember God's love is not based on how we perform at all. We sing songs like Jaira to worship in response to God's love and also to remind ourselves that that's true about God. So the second point is we sing to remember Jesus' sacrificial love for us. That's the example of love that God gives us. It's the highest form of love, his sacrificial love. It says... While we're still in our sin, doing nothing to deserve it, God loved us so much to send his son as a sacrifice for us, to be with us, to know us, and then to sacrifice himself for us. It's that kind of undeserved sacrificial love that we cheer, that it's natural. We see it. It's right. We see it when parents protect their children. They put themselves in the harm's way to protect their kids. We see it in movies like Braveheart, where William Wallace dies for freedom. He sacrifices himself for freedom from tyranny. We see it in more recent movies, like Avengers Endgame, where Iron Man sacrifices himself for the entire universe, kind of like Jesus. It's hardwired into us to cheer that on. But we didn't do anything to deserve that sacrificial love. We can't earn it. All we can do is choose to believe and accept it and then live our life in response to it. And when we sing Jaira, we remember Jesus' sacrificial love. 
And we have to remind ourselves constantly because the world is not saying this to us, right? It's the opposite of what the world says. The world says, performance. God says, I already love you. We sing songs of worship to remind ourselves that it's true. That's how God loves us. And we need that constant reminder. We need to celebrate that. If we're not feeling that, then we know we need a reminder. And singing Jaira reminds us that we're a part of this bigger story. It's a bigger narrative. There are lots of stories in the Bible where we see God has this great plan of redemption for us and for the whole world. And we get to be a part of it for his ultimate purpose. And his purposes are good. One of my favorite examples of how God uses everything in our life, the good, the bad, is in the story of Joseph, the son of Jacob. We can all see ourselves in that story, and we're supposed to look at the story of Jacob and understand that we're all a part of this greater narrative, and God's going to use what we have, everything in our life, for him. And we can't, we're not going to be able to see it. We have to trust that it's happening and it's going to happen. But sometimes we can look back on our lives and see, oh, I see how that's happened. So story of Joseph, he's the great grandson of Abraham, okay? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Joseph is the firstborn son of Rachel. So Jacob had 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 a first wife and has a bunch of sons, second wife, Rachel, who he loves the most, has the first son. So, so Joseph is really uh, kind of doted on, and the older brothers don't like it. And, and Joseph's not very smart, maybe a little arrogant. And the way he interacts with his brother, it's not great with his brothers. And so they hate him. They hate Joseph. And they decide, we're going to sell him into slavery. And then they, tell, they do it, and then they tell their dad that he's dead. Then he goes, and he's in, so he's in slavery, but God is going to bless Joseph. So he's in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar, uh, he's blessed, and Potiphar sets him up as the steward of the house, and he's doing really well, but then Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him, and Joseph does the right thing. He runs away from her, but he still gets thrown into prison. And then Joseph is in prison for a long time. So Joseph got put in slavery, Ejected from his family, his brothers hate him, put in prison. Now he's in prison, and Pharaoh's cupbearer happens to be there. And Joseph interprets a dream for him, which God provides that interpretation to Joseph. And then when, later, when the cupbearer is with Pharaoh, a couple years later, he remembers that Joseph can interpret dreams when Pharaoh needs a dream interpreted. And so he, they call Joseph up, and Joseph interprets the dream, and then he becomes the Pharaoh's right-hand man, and he saves all of Egypt because he interprets a dream, and they start saving food for a, uh, when the, uh, a famine hits, and the food isn't provided, and so they save all this food up and save Egypt, Joseph's family, and all of Israel. And it's this story where we see God is using all of these negative things and good things for his ultimate purposes. And now remember, God made a promise 
with Abraham. So Joseph's great-grandfather, God made a promise with Abraham to give him many descendants. That's the covenant. He also, in that covenant, said that he was going to be with him and bless him. And then the third part that we don't really pay attention to much is that he's going to, through Abraham's descendants, bless all nations. So we see in Joseph's story that God is blessing the nation of Israel and Egypt through him. So he's already fulfilling that promise. So God doesn't just want to bless you. He wants to bless the whole world, all nations, all people groups. And he's inviting us to be partners in his redemptive plan. And that's the third point. If someone mistreats you, if you have a terrible boss and you get thrown in jail or go bankrupt or lose everything or everyone you ever loved or get sick, you're in good company. God is using your life like he used Joseph. It's a promise that he is going to use you in his greater narrative of redemption. He's using it and he's going to redeem it. So when we sing, the third point is we remember we're a part of Jesus' mission to bless the whole world. Jesus calls us to go and make disciples of all nations, all nations baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite sayings that I learned a couple of years ago about the good news of the gospel is that the gospel came to me because it's on its way to someone else. The gospel came to you because it's on its way to someone else. God loves you, but he also loves someone else. He loves everyone. And that's the point. It's not just about me. It's about me so I can give it to the next person. Jesus says in that Matthew passage, seek the kingdom above all else, live righteously, and I'll give you everything you need. And like I said, we all see a little bit of our story. We're supposed to see a little bit of our story in Joseph's story. And that's true for me. I, I promise you, only God would have brought me here to be your worship pastor. I did not, I was not raised in a home where you would think, oh, he's going to be a pastor. Not at all. My family didn't go to church. I was not raised in a home where my family went to church. By the time I was six, I had a friend and whose family went to church. And they invited me, and my parents said, sure, free babysitting. And I went, and I went to church with my friend, and I loved it. And what's amazing is, I didn't know it. It was just the only church I'd been to, but they had really good worship. My friend's mom was the organ player, and the lady that led worship was incredible. And I just thought, wow, this is great. Church is cool in the 80s. And then I, uh, in sixth grade, I moved to Portland. That was in Longview growing up. Then I moved to Portland, Oregon. And I started going to another church that I found because I was looking for like a youth group. And my best friend ended up being the pastor's son. Didn't know that. He never told me. He's kind of hiding it from me. And then I show up at church and he's like, Brandon, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm going to church, Ray. What are you doing here? And he said, he like confessed. He said, my dad's the pastor. And guess what? They had awesome worship too. I didn't even think about leading worship until I got to college and I was in InterVarsity 
And my sophomore year, they had a staff transition. All the people on the worship team moved away. They'd been music majors and it was incredible. Sophomore year, they invite me to lead worship. I'd been learning guitar, but I was just one of a handful of people that was willing. And someone saw me and said, would you like to be on worship team? And they supported me to lead people in worship. And then I really liked ministry. And so I got involved more and more in college and ended up going on staff with varsity at the U of O. I'm a duck. Go ducks. And then we and then I went on staff with university and went up to Alaska. And I worked at UAA. And I also taught tennis in the winter because I'd grown up playing tennis and you got to do something in the winter in Alaska. And so I was teaching tennis and my future wife comes up to me and she's required to take tennis lessons for the team she's on. So she puts her hand on my hand and says, I would like a lesson. And I said, all right. <laughs> and after, yeah, that's right. And after... That lesson, I asked her out. And then we got married a couple years later in Billings, which is where my wife is from. She's a bobcat. And, and we got married at the church that was planting Journey, and I got connected with them, and they needed a worship pastor, and that's how I ended up here. Somebody asked my dad once, what did you do to raise a son who's a pastor? And he said, I didn't do anything to raise my son who's a pastor. So I have a really different view on how God pursues us. I believe God is pursuing each of us for his plans. You don't have to worry about that. Don't worry. God's pursuing you. He's pursuing your kids. He's pursuing the people you love. Don't worry about that. Just seek his kingdom. Live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. God loves you. He died for you, but it's not just about you. It's about your neighbor and all the nations. The gospel came to you because it's on its way to someone else. If my friend hadn't invited me to church, I wouldn't be a pastor today. Is there someone you're thinking about inviting to church? It might change their life, the lives of everyone around you and thousands of people you've never met. That's just one story. We all have Joseph stories. Something brought you here today. I bet it was a whole bunch of relationship decisions. Someone had to invite me to church. Then someone had to invite me to church again, probably. Then someone had to be willing to have me lead worship. And then someone had to hire me to be here. And it was a lot of saying yes, seeking his kingdom. Are you seeking his kingdom? Are you making decisions that would reflect that? God's going to use my life for his mission to bless the nations. He's going to use your life, the good or the bad. He'll use it to bless the nations. We don't have to worry about that. He's going to. He's promised he will. So we sing Jira to remember Jesus' command not to worry to live our life following Jesus, seeking the kingdom. We sing to remember Jesus' sacrificial love for us, and we sing to remember Jesus' mission to bless and bring the good news of his love to all the nations, all people, our neighbor, everyone. Now, the other big scripture that I just want to highlight that's from the song is based on Philippians 4, 10 through 13. And we see it quoted in the lyric, I will be content in any circumstance. So let's read Philippians 4, 10. 
Now, Paul is in prison, just like Joseph, and he's writing to the Philippians, the church in Philippi. He says, how I praise, he's worshiping, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have, any circumstance. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty or plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul says, I've learned a secret, and it's tied to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The secret is living for Christ, seeking the kingdom, and Jesus gives me strength. He has faith, and he's given his life to follow Jesus, and just like Joseph, it sent him to prison, and just like Joseph, he's going to die, just like every one of us one day. But between now and then, are we going to live our lives in response to that love? Or are we going to control our own life? Now, what does it mean to give God control? It means to follow his commands. It means he loves us. He has these commands that are, if we follow them, then we're going to have that full life that he promises. And if we don't follow them, we are holding on to the reins. Now, some of you are saying, I wish I could believe like that. I wish I could have faith like that and just follow Jesus' commands. I wish I could trust that he loves me that much and that he has a plan for the whole redemption of the world. That sounds great. And then you give yourself a pass. But it's not a matter of saying you can't trust Jesus because you don't have that kind of faith. Because you actually already do have faith. All of us have a type of faith. And if we're not following Jesus' commands, then actually what we're saying is, I have faith in myself. You have faith in yourself. You aren't following Jesus. You're saying you're the one who can make up your own mind about what's good and what's bad, what's wrong or what's right. You're still basing your life on faith. It's just faith in yourself. You're running your life based on faith in your own competence to run your life. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 mentions this. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's almighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Realizing God is good and he loves you and you want to live a life of love, that's what he's calling you to. An analogy I thought of this week is that God's love is like a river. It's like an ocean. We're not in control of it. And some of us are just dipping our toe into it. Some of us dipped our toe into the river and then we just held on to the reins of our life and we actually didn't give God control. We said, yes, I believe, but I'm going to hold on to the reins when it really counts. God is inviting us to follow him to follow his commands and understand that he loves us and he, what he wants is good. One of the greatest examples of choosing to follow God is getting baptized. It's the life change 
that's totally countercultural from anything you're seeing around you in the world. It's putting a stake in the ground and saying, I am committing to follow Jesus and his commands. It's saying, God is going to do a better job of running my life than I could. I know that he can. And around Journey, we call it going all in. And last week, we had our summer river baptisms, and 31 people were baptized, and we had the privilege of baptizing this week. It was awesome. So I want to show you a video of Mindy, one of my friends, who we got to baptize. Let's watch this. Does she mean it or what? Jesus says, come, jump fully in. Live your whole life in response to my love. My commands will bring you life. Live your whole life like you've been loved and accepted and you're part of God's great plan. He invites us to live knowing that God is good, that he is good. And he wants to give us good gifts and that he cares for us. And he ultimately has given us the greatest gift, which is making a way for us to live a life with God as our father and our friend. Are you going to jump in the river of God's love and follow him? Is that something that you maybe haven't done yet? Maybe there's someone you could tell that you're doing that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your message of love and redemption. We thank you that we get to sing songs like this that are such good reminders of how much you love us, of what's true, how you're moving and working in the world, and how you're moving and working our lives, that you take even the worst things that happen to us and you Use it for your good purposes. That you want to bless us and we want to live that way, God. Help us to make a commitment today for you to live differently from today forward. That we, when we find ourselves worrying, that it would every time be a reminder of your good, perfect plans for our future and that you can see what's happening, that you're with us. God, we pray for our friends, that they would know you, that they would learn to hear your voice, and we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, and we're going to sing Jaira. Think on these as you sing, and let's sing out together.
doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Oh, going through a storm, but I won't go down. I hear your voice carried in the rhythm of the wind to call me out. You would cross an ocean, so I wouldn't try. You've never been closer than you are right now. Let's sing it out together. You are Shira. You are enough. Shira. You are enough. I will be content even in this in every circumstance. Shira. Shira. You are. You are enough. Always enough, always wasn't enough. enough. Oh, oh. I don't wanna forget how I feel right now on the mountain top. I can see it so clear what it's all about. Stay by my side when the sun goes down. Don't wanna forget.
Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.